0: Weekly Weights with Burt and Hayes We lift the weights and go on dates And we are mates that educate and conversate
1: And it's our podcast! Weekly Weights with Alex and Will
0: Welcome to episode 67 of Weekly Weights My name's Alex Hayes With me as always is Will Berkman And with us today is a special guest, Matt Tinson Welcome to the show, Matt G'day guys Thanks for coming on, man. So, Matt is Powerlifting Australia's... One of Powerlifting Australia's best lifters. He competes in the 77 kilo class. And recently, he had a terrible injury, which we've actually spoken about a few times on the the podcast. He uh, broke his arm. So, we'll get into that a bit later. Um, One of the things that makes Powerlifting great is that people from all walks of life are brought into it. And you've had a very interesting life prior to starting Powerlifting. So, let's start off like... From when you were way younger, what sports did you play as a kid? Uh, So when I was very,
2: very little, um, like, you know, talking like five, six, seven, um, I dabbled in like t-ball, AFL, um, and then also tennis, and then moving into sort of high school years, um, I also played a bit of rugby for high school, uh, mainly because I was a quick runner and they just chucked me on the wing and threw me the ball and fucking around. Where'd you grow up? Uh, in Perth. Okay. Yeah. And rugby was so, big in Perth? Uh, more rugby union. Yeah. Um, and mainly because my uh, teachers at school, they were into rugby, so they that's what they pursued there. Um, and then my main sport, uh, surprisingly, uh, was uh, figure skating, which I uh, started when I was about six and uh, continued right up until I was... About 22 years old.
1: So, w- how did you get into figure skating? Both Alex and I laughed when you said that because we think <laughs> of you as a pretty rough and tumble bloke. And yeah. particularly when we get through your history, that'll come out. Um, but figure skating is a particularly niche sport and presumably you were practicing on ice yes. quite a lot. Yes. So, how did you get into it and who prompted you to give it a go? Uh, so, it was way back
2: um, when the Mighty Ducks were very popular. <laughs> yes, I can tell Will, the people. Will's wearing his Mighty Ducks T-shirt. I should have bought mine. Yeah,
1: I've got three now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, it would have been like a hot summer's day, and my parents took uh, me and my sister um, just ice skating for fun. And uh, um, I actually fell over in front of my mum, and she ran over my hand, like causing a bit of damage to my hand. Um, ice skate. Yeah, with a with a skate, like chopped a bit of skin off, and um, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. And so to make me feel better, she bought me some ice skating lessons.
1: And from there, to make you feel better, so she re exposed yeah, you. Yeah, re exposed. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Matt, sorry <laughs> yeah. for having a car crash with you. I thought I thought I'd get you into billy cart racing or something. That's awful. Yeah, yeah pretty much.
2: And then. Um, yeah, from there, um, I had I had some lessons, and these uh, Russian figure skating coaches picked me up, and you know how typical Russian is—like you make I'll make you Olympic champion. Um, yeah, and went from there, and just started off, um, you know, a couple of times a week, and um, it just got better and better. And they sort of said, "Oh, you got to make a choice: do you want to play ice hockey or continue fig- figure skating?" And they pushed me towards figure skating, obviously, because it was better for them as coaches. And it just went from there and just gradually built up. So how far did you go with figure skating the sport? So I got to uh, competing internationally. Um, the main goal uh, before I decided to quit um, was the Torino Olympic Games. Uh, but unfortunately, due to like injuries um, and just being such a tough sport,
0: as well, um, that didn't didn't quite happen. So,
1: were you in like individual performances or as a partner? Individual performances, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. So, you said it was a tough sport and that you sustained injuries. What's training like as an elite figure skater? So, as an elite figure skater, um, when I was at my peak, probably in my like teenage
2: years, um, I was on the ice doing ten sessions a week on the ice and they would be anywhere from an hour to two hours long, Um, most of those would be twice a day Um, and then I'd also be doing a like a strength and conditioning session off the ice once a week, Um, I'd also do a flexibility session um, and also right in my peak of skating I was also doing a psychology session at TWICE which is Mm -hmm. the West West Australian Institute of Sport.
1: and that took up all my time before and after school. yeah right. and what was the psychology aspect of it centered around? Um, psychology
2: aspect was more centered around um, like my mental mental toughness. Um, I had an issue like doing a ju- particular elements off off the sport. Like launching yourself into the air and trying to rotate as many times as possible. Mm. Um, I just had a I had a bit of a mental block sometimes going for that, going into a jump at high speeds. Um, and like, if you're learning a new a new skill, a new jump, um, you know, nine ta- nine times out of ten, you're gonna fall. Yeah. Um, so I guess it was a bit of an element of hurting myself that I had that mental block with so a psychologist would help me through that to give me things to think about while I was doing it and uh, yeah those sort of aspects
1: And to zoom right ahead to powerlifting do you think the skills that you might have learned in those sessions have helped you as a powerlifter?
2: Yeah definitely, definitely like you can, like the psychologist taught me how to really focus on what I was doing what I was doing at the time rather than thinking about the end result Yeah um, Yeah
1: and so now that you're injured as a powerlifter as well, eventually you're going to have to come back and bench press more weight than broke your arm. Mm. And to the listeners, if you haven't seen the video, um, Matt's Instagram is tino dot lifts, and he's got a picture of his broken humerus and the video of it snapping when he's bench pressing. Yeah, go check it out. Um, <laughs> turn, turn the volume up. Yeah, the the pop is quite something. But eventually, you're going to have to you're going to have to come. I guess face to face with that again
2: yeah do you yeah.
1: think your willingness to just go back to training and treat it as normal will still be there um I think de- definitely uh will be, definitely be
2: normal um I know that when I I broke it doing 147 and a half kilos and I know once I reach that weight it's going to be in my head mm. um but you know before that I'm going to you know bench 130 135 140 and if that's all moves, moving smooth sailing then uh Obviously, 147 and a half shouldn't be a problem. I'm actually thinking about going back to apparel and doing it on the same bench press.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, let's go back to figure skating then. So yep. you said you're doing tennis sessions on the ice a week, you're doing strength and conditioning, you're seeing a psychologist. This yep. is all while you're at school. Yes. Um, what does strength and conditioning involve for figure skating? Um, so it was mainly uh, like
2: body weight sort of work. Um, So it'd be like sit-ups, push-ups, would also go through jumps off the ice. Um, It'd be more, a lot of agility stuff. Uh, My coaches were Russian, so a lot of their
1: techniques were questionable. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have thought, because the Russians definitely have a reputation for, if anything, knowing more than the Western coaches. You'd have almost thought they were like cutting edge or, you know, doing things we wouldn't dare. Um, well
2: way, way back, um, the Russian, Russian figure skaters were the best in the world, but as technology grew, um, especially getting things like slow motion cameras and all that sort of stuff, um, you saw more Western <coughs> countries like USA and Canada take top spots
1: um, yeah. in the figure skating world. Okay. That's interesting. And then how much of your actual figure skating training was practising the technique and the jumps and stuff as opposed to choreographing and learning a routine?
2: Uh, yep, so choreographing and learning a routine, that could take that could take weeks to learn, um, but you'd normally go through, go through the steps in between the jumps to learn it, and then once you've learnt the choreograph, put it all together, try and get it all to mesh. Uh, but I would normally do... Jumps, spins, every single session, Um, yeah, but there are several different jumps and several different spins in figure skating, so you wouldn't constantly be doing the same ones every single day. Right.
1: Yeah. And then at some stage, you said you've decided to quit. You said the sport was really wearing you down, and the Olympic dream was over for you. Yeah. Was there a particular incident that sort of, like, precipitated that, or...
2: Um yeah sort of like I I was training in Canada at the time I'd finished I'd finished school um finished year 12 and I went over to Canada to train for 6 or 7 months um with really well renowned coaches over there and uh I started getting um like burses in my ankles um mm-hmm. just from the skates being the pressure on um they were getting really like balloon sized like golf ball sized um burses on my ankles um and it was too painful to to skate um end up having to have surgery on it to remove the burses um and then also it got to a stage where financially um it was costing my my parents a lot of money um I was also working like where I can but like there's not much sponsorship for an Australian figure skater um, surprisingly mm-hmm. Um so like you'd have to pay for flights, coaches, um, everything. All skates are really expensive. So I got to a point where uh, my parents were like, Hey, you gotta you gotta like get a job and help out with the cost of this. Um, otherwise we can't really support you anymore because you know, my parents want to retire at some stage and it's yeah. costing them a lot of money. Um so I decided with the injuries and stuff that I um did my last competition as a competitive figure skater and then um, tried to go into doing shows, um, so what they, they call it, turning professional. Right. And from there, um, I went into doing a few small shows and then
1: um, got selected to do Disney on Ice. Yeah, and for all the listeners who were wondering why we got Matt on, it's because as a show, we like to be topical, and with The Lion King having just come out, <laughs> we thought we'd get our own Disney star on the show. So, we've got Matt Tinson from Disney on Ice. What, what, sh- what shows did you perform in? Um, so, before Disney on Ice, I just did
2: a couple of little shows in Singapore. I mm-hmm. spent um, all up like uh, three months in Singapore. Um, and that was just like a small little ice rink in a shopping center. Um, and then, uh, finally got accepted to do Disney on Ice. Um, and the show I did was called 100 Years of Disney Magic which is quite weird because Disney hasn't been around for 100 years, so I don't know why it was called that. Um, No, it is weird. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, so I started off there as just um, just as an ensemble skater, so I did a lot of uh, sort of background stuff and then worked my way up a little bit and I was um, to play the main role of the show, which was uh, Aladdin and Shane. Right.
1: You played Aladdin and Well, Shan. I wasn't
2: quite yet. I was just like the understudy for it. But did you have to deliver the lines and everything?
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. you were essentially an actor and skater. Yeah, that's well. correct. We had to mime, mime the, the songs. Can you. Oh, I was going to say, you had to mime the songs. Yeah, so them. you can't sing like no, no, New World or anything No, right no now? No, no, no. we never can. You can't actually sing Be them. a Man? No. Shang sings Be a Man, <laughs> doesn't just, he?
0: Can you sing the Weekly Wakes theme song? No. No, this guy no off air,
1: we asked which theme song he wanted us to play and he said, Aren't they all the same? And <laughs> <laughs> we nearly terminated the interview right there. The Wiggly Waits theme songs are not all the same. There's four of uh, them.
0: <laughs> and the
1: Wilkes edition. <laughs> and the Wilkes edition, so technically five. That's actually that's very cool. I didn't realise. So you had all the lines when they spoke and things like that though, right? Yeah.
2: And very very interesting when we went to different countries and it was in a different language. Oh, you, you had, had to, to learn languages. The other language we well. had to try the best we could. <laughs> Good grief! Wow. I can't
1: imagine how difficult that would be. So you're skating, yeah, dancing, yeah, interacting with however many other people are on the rink yeah. at a time, yeah, and delivering lines occasionally in the wrong language, yeah, correct. Which,
0: uh, which countries did you attempt to do their language? Uh, we did uh,
2: French, and we also did Spanish. Really? How is yeah. your Spanish just generally? I uh, couldn't couldn't tell you anything. Do you remember any of your lines? No. No, nah, this nah, no way. <laughs> this was years ago. I That's could, funny. yeah. As so. I said, we just tried our best.
0: So, yeah. how old were you when you started this? When I started Disney,
2: yeah, um, I was nineteen. Okay. And how long did you do that for? I did it for two years. So I did two tours um, with Disney—one all around the US—and then I did one uh, around a lot of Europe as well.
0: What are some of your best memories of those years?
2: Uh, best memories. Um, obviously, travelling was like the biggest, the biggest um, memory of all. Um, getting paid to travel around the world is amazing. Um, and uh, there's a lot of lot of shenanigans that went on behind the scenes as well.
1: Um, so Disney's not quite as like G-rated when they're not on stage. Is that what you're saying? No,
2: Dis- the Disney magic only happens only happens when you can see them on the ice. Behind yeah. behind curtains, there's no magic. <laughs> <laughs> different type of magic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, uh, it was awesome to, like, I had really good mates on the show to travel around the world with your mates, essentially, is the best experience of all. Um, got, got into a bit of trouble when I was in the U.S. as I was under 21, and uh, I did have a fake ID, but that um, I got caught out in my last couple of weeks in the U.S., um it almost, almost got arrested,
1: but I uh, managed to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, please. I'm just a poor dizzy on ice performer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the cops would have been fine with that. That's great. Pretty much. So you did two tours, and was there an option to continue for a third, or was that it?
2: Yeah, there was an option. I actually even signed the contract for a third tour. Um, it was going back, uh, back to America, almost repeating the same tour I did first up. Um, but then I decided
1: not to do it and uh, pursue other, other things. And so other things eventually led you to the army. Was there anything in between um, Disney on Ice and entering the forces? Um, yeah, I...
2: Well, when I decided I didn't want to continue um, with Disney... I knew I wanted to go into a job that uh, needed like physical work. I couldn't sit behind a desk, um, so I tried out for police and also f- uh, fireys. Mm-hmm. Um, police. I went to the testing process. Had no idea you weren't allowed to use a calculator for the aptitude testing, um, and so I miserably failed that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How hard was the math? Um, it was pretty hard, like hard. To- so like how much does a donut and a coffee cost? Donuts yeah. are 2 bucks 70 Coffee's a half price today. That's like hard. it was,
2: it was, it was fairly hard. I mean, we've, I mean, you guys probably used calculators through your whole school in career. It was the same as me. Like I'd completely forgotten how to do like maths, just trying to figure it out on paper. Mm. Uh, So that was kind of annoying. Fireys, I got through um, the process a little bit and they basically pretty much said, oh, we're looking for more mature um, applicants uh, because apparently I hadn't had enough life
1: experience yet. Um, (laughs) Seems quite extraordinary. Yeah, so
2: so then um, I turned to um, the Armed Forces and applied uh, to get into the Armed Forces and was successful in that. Okay,
1: cool. And what... um, did you go from basic training straight into what I think was your eventual role in the army and may still be your eventual role, um, which was working as a
2: carpenter, is that correct? Uh, no. So I, when I first applied to join the army, I uh, went in as an infantry soldier. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went through recruit training. And then uh, after recruit training, you go do your job specific training. So mine was infantry training. And then once you've successfully completed that, then you get posted to uh, infantry battalion.
1: Right. And so, what did um, what did basic training entail for those? Um,
2: so basic training, it was. I mean, it was it was relatively easy physically um, because they got to cater to everyone. Um, so the the physic the physical standard, is quite low just because they do have to cater for everyone mm. um, but then I think the biggest thing in recruit training is the mental uh, like toughness of it, I mean you're told what to do, you have to do it when you're told you have to be up at whatever time they tell you you have to go to bed when they tell you to you can't go to bed any earlier um, so I think the mental thing was the toughest for me in recruit training, I um, mean coming from the figure skating background, especially having Russian coaches, I was pretty good at doing what I was told to do when told to do it mm. but yeah the biggest thing was not being able to I guess go out on a weekend and do what you like in your downtime
1: yeah as such yeah and in terms of what they asked you to do physically you said it wasn't that hard was it yeah. a lot of like running and climbing and things like that or did you have to lift weights and do things um, like that too? it was a it was a mixture of things
2: um a lot of uh, body weight sort of work again. Um, as well as just like running and cardio fitness, they did have a pretty decent obstacle course there, which, uh, is quite fun to do. And you do that with a bit of weight, um, on you as well. Like, yeah, what they call webbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite good. I think now, and I think JP actually went to, um, the uh, recruit training school not that long ago I think it was last year um, to teach the physical trainers their level one in um, fitness or something like that
1: okay
2: Um, I remember seeing on his Instagram that he was down there Um, so I think that now they are more leaning towards they've seen the benefits of strength training Um, I could be wrong but I think they are more leaning towards strength training um, and letting people uh, like for example, like, for someone, a 10-kilo squat might be really hard for them, but for me it would be really easy. So they're letting people, you know, go squat 100 kilos if they
1: can do it um, in a safe environment. Right. Yeah. And had any of your injuries or anything from figure skating impacted your ability to do stuff in the army? Like, you said you'd had ankle surgery, Yeah. for instance. Was that a problem?
2: Uh, no, once I'd had surgery, that... Um, that that cleared pretty much all my problems. Um, when I was doing Disney on Ice, I didn't have any problems with with my ankle. Um, so the surgery, yeah, they removed the burses and they never came back. Luckily, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so that's good. Um, something that Alex and I spoke about before this was that. The Army has a pretty, like, macho image. Yeah. And I'd have imagined that if you went into it with a background in figure skating and then being a Disney performer, that you might have copped some flack for it. Was yeah. that the case? Um, I mean, yeah. Like, once uh, once I'd
2: sort of spoken to, like, a few people and um, you know, people can stalk you out on Instagram, Facebook and stuff and saw some things and be like, hey, is that is that you? Um, I did cop a, cop a little bit of flack. But then I think uh, once once I realised that you know I travel the world doing this, I was actually doing it at a really high level. Um, I think a bit of jealousy then comes in, and they realise like oh, it's actually pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean there are people, and I've come across other people in the army who have done stuff like cheerleading and ballet, and um, they're all infantry soldiers as well. Yeah. Right. So there are there are other people out there that um, also get yeah, copped a bit of flack.
1: Yeah. Cool. So, you eventually were posted to an infantry battalion, mm. right? Having gone through all that training. Yeah. Were you then deployed?
2: Yeah. So, after I'd finished... Um, so, I go back when I finished recruit training and went to infantry training, which was a like a step up um, from recruit training. It was a lot more intense. Um, basically, you, you learn how to become a killer, basically. And uh, uh, physically, it was a lot harder... Um, You did Uh, the biggest thing for me was doing pack marches, um, which is like you've probably seen um, army blokes with a massive pack on their back. Any of that can weigh from forty to sixty kilos, and you got to be able to walk fifteen ks, twenty ks with that on your back, as well as carry a rifle and body armor. Um, So that was the biggest biggest challenge for me, being like quite quite short. Um, And when I was in the army, I was probably only weighing about you know, 65 kilos at this, at that point, Yeah, um, coming from like my figure skating career, I wasn't as built as I am now. I was more lean. Um, so that was the biggest challenge for me. And then, yeah, I went to the infantry battalion, um, and physical, the physical work in the infantry battalion, um, it was quite hard, but it was a lot more self-paced, um, most of the time you could go to the gym in your own time and do your own thing um, but then you, there, were, there were times when you had to do physical fitness as a group and you had to maintain that fitness and there are fitness tests in the army that we do need to pass and depending on what your job is in the army you need to be able to pass that particular fitness test Sure. Um, so yeah when I was 2014 I was deployed to Afghanistan for 7 months and um, and I mean, phys- physically that wasn't any more challenging than being back in Australia, but I think mentally it was quite tough.
1: Um, I want to, I want to backtrack just a little bit. You said that in infantry training, part of the purpose of it was to teach you how to be a killer. Yeah. And I, we probably don't need to get into gory details or like be too morbid about it. But what does that entail? If you come in as somebody who's had no exposure to yeah, the army or fighting or war or anything, mm. What types of things do they show you to be prepared to go?
2: Uh, Well, first, um, way back in recruit training, you would, uh, you learn how to shoot a rifle. Um, And then when you get into infantry training, you learn all the tactics behind infantry training. Um, There are different ways how you'd go about, um, uh, like attacking like the enemy, Um, different techniques, and then they also do uh, like assault courses. Um, we learn how to do like uh, what they call military self-defense. But when I went through it, it was more like MMA fighting sort of thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and then they also they run you through um, like a, what they call a bayonet assault course, which is where you chuck a bayonet on the end of your rifle and you go through courses. Uh, like an obstacle course basically and they have um, mannequins there that you go through and stab and um, pretend to shoot and stuff like
1: that. And when you were exposed to that stuff did you feel like were you intimidated by it at all? Were you like this is just part of the job? How What rang through your mind? Um, like through uh, like
2: I knew it was part of the job um but I guess they do need they do need to teach that sort of aggressive side of um, being an infantry soldier because, like, if you did come to it, you need to be able to, like, defend yourself or whatever the objective is of the mission. Um, you do need to be able to shoot someone and kill them if you need to, um, which is a lot easier said than done. Um, mm-hmm. So they do need to... Uh, the instructors need to whittle out any doubts in your mind um,
1: about doing that. And so by the time you had been deployed, and you said you're in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. by the time you had been deployed, um, how did you feel about that? You know, you said it was a mental challenge to be there. Was the threat of, you know, death or having to kill other people present for you?
2: Um, yeah, definitely. I think, like, mentally, mentally, it was... We were over there for a few weeks, and we had a, a pretty bad incident happen, um, where a few people were killed. Luckily, no Australians were killed in that incident. Um, and that was a bit of a wake-up call, like, holy shit, like, I'm actually at war. Um, there is a massive danger here. Um, so I think, yeah, that was a big big shock to the system. Um, even though I already knew I was at war, my brain didn't, th- didn't really think about my own protection um, as such.
1: Yeah, does anything prepare you for that first moment when when something's going wrong in front of you? I don't
2: think like being in Australia and just like training for it can really prepare you until it actually happens in real life. And um yeah, you you don't like I never got like the sort of racing heart in training as I did when I was over in Afghanistan, if something was about to happen
0: um, or in that
2: case something did happen
0: yeah so how many years ago were you in Afghanistan so it was 2014 so had you met your wife yet yes okay so how did yes. you feel about being away from her and the possibility that you wouldn't see her again um I mean it's like it's always a
2: chance Um. it's a very slim chance I mean we've been at war in Afghanistan f- since September 11 2001 Um, and we've only had, you know, 40 or so Australian soldiers killed in action, which is a very small number for being at war for that long. Um, so, I mean, it's always a chance, um, and it's always, you know, a little bit in the back of your head, and you do need to prepare your loved ones at home, um, in case something did go wrong. Um mentally I was okay um, I don't know how about how my wife felt um, especially when something, when something did happen when I was overseas uh, they cut all phone lines all internet so you can't even contact them in case something did happen um, they didn't want it getting out in Australia before the right family was notified um, so I think in that sense it was more tough on her than it was on me has she yeah. mentioned that it was tough on her? Um yeah she she did find it tough um at that stage we didn't have any kids so that would have been a bit easier but also just being at home alone um i think that was tough especially when something did happen and she couldn't get hold of me um or i couldn't get hold of her but you know that would only last you know maybe a few days and then you can call her and uh, tell her everything's fine and not to worry
1: so you said you were deployed for a few weeks. Is that correct, or were you there for much longer than seven months? Seven months. How did yeah. I get a few weeks? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, but seven months me. is is a multitude. It's a few of weeks. weeks. Yeah, it's a few weeks. A few dozen. Yeah. Twenty-eight a yeah. few. Yeah. So that's that's fine. you go gone for seven months. Um, after that tour, did you continue in the in the infantry battalion that you'd started in? Um, Yeah, so
2: after we got back, I had a fair bit of downtime. Um, It was at that stage that I uh, thought that I didn't want to continue as an infantry soldier anymore. I wanted to do something else. Um, I was dabbling with the idea of getting out of the army. Um, And then uh, I decided to apply to do a carpentry apprenticeship through the army. And uh, I knew it was very tough to get into. They only train about 10 carpenters a year. Mm -hmm. But I thought I'd try my luck and apply. And um, luckily, I got in. So I only spent about another 12 months in the infantry battalion when I got back. And then I started my carpentry training.
1: Was your decision to leave influenced by the incident that occurred when you were in Afghanistan?
2: Uh, No, not not at all. Um, I mean, I... Being in the army, especially as an infantry soldier, um, it's really like any job. Like, some some days it's great, and some days it's shit. Right. So, um, I didn't want to continue as an infantry soldier, and then get too old, uh, and then want to get out of the army, but not have any other qualifications outside of the army, apart from being a figure skater.
1: Right. Uh, So...
2: So, um, yeah, I Doesn't thought... Doesn't strike me as an old man's game <laughs> either, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't just go down to the ice rink and be like, oh, yeah, I used to be a good figure skater. Yeah, you, you could have been Rafiki King. in the Lion King yeah. if you get old enough. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, I decided to transfer and do a carpentry apprenticeship through the army and um, luckily got in. And the main reason behind that was just I, I do enjoy being a carpenter, mm-hmm. but at least now I've got a qualifications that I can leave the army with and do on the outside.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, I think we're going to take a quick break there. We'll come right back. And at this point, I presume, is where some powerlifting also gets into the mix. So we'll be right back. Weekly Weights. Welcome back to Weekly Weights. I'm Will, with Miss Alex, and with us is Matt Tinson. We've just heard of the end of your time in the infantry battalion in the army. You've started a carpentry apprenticeship. Yep. Um, at this point, were you beginning powerlifting? Yes. Um,
2: so when I uh, transferred to do carpentry through the army, um, I had to move. I was I was located in Townsville, um, and me and my wife had to move to Albury. Um, that's where the army has their TAFE um, for most trades. Right. So it all started when I was living in Albury. Um, I was just going to the gym, you know, n- nearly every day. Just going through the motions, not having any sort of goal in mind. Um, I had like thought about doing powerlifting competitions, but as an infantry soldier, it was too hard being away all the time. Like we would, there was a couple of years as an infantry soldier where I was away more than what I was home, so it was it was too difficult to train uh, properly. And actually, when I was overseas uh, on deployment, that's when I did my first two hundred uh, kilo deadlift conventional.
0: Me? Hey, yeah. yeah. yeah, I was yeah. real strength. Good. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I bet te- the army wouldn't have caught you pulling sumo if you did that. You would have been out doing a pack uh, run or something uh, immediately. Oh, yeah. 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 figure skating Didn't sumo it. coward. Didn't <laughs> even know what sumo was then. <laughs> Good. Okay, so, <laughs> so you've done your first 200-kilo deadlift. You're thinking about powerlifting. Yeah. Training in Aubrey every day.
2: Yeah. And um, so I uh, actually... What did uh, my friend uh, in Perth um, said that he reckons I should just try out like a novice comp to see if I like it? Um, so I was doing trying to find a novice comp like either in Albury preferably um, or Melbourne, as it's only about a three-hour drive, so it's not too bad. Um, couldn't couldn't find anything in the sort of time frame um, were more like end of the year or something like that. And I was like, fuck, I want to do one like you know in a few months. Um, and so I was just like sending a few emails off not knowing who I was sending them to and out of the blue I get a call from this bloke called Robert Wilkes um, which is quite funny because I had no idea who he is and um, I think I'd sent an email maybe to like Melbourne Uni um, asking about a competition or something and um, he basically convinced me saying um, don't waste your time with the Novice Comp like it might not be their like uh, well prepared um, you should just go straight into doing a PA comp, come do the Melbourne Open at the Fitness Expo um, in a few months and I was like okay and he was asking me about um, like what weight class and what my lifts were like and um, basically back then pushed me towards competing in the 74 kilo weight class um, so that from there I signed up to PA um, entered in the comp um, n- had no idea about what equipment I needed or what was approved. Um, so, not knowing who Robert was, I just sent him a casual email saying, hey, what, what belt should I get? And um, he, he replied and told me that to get an Inza belt or something. And so I got that and went from there
1: so what was it that initially attracted you to powerlifting like obviously somewhere in the mix you thought being strong is interesting and Mm. you know doing squats bench and deadlifts was good yeah what was it that first made you think that um
2: well when i was uh when i was deployed to afghanistan um uh there wasn't much room to do cardio the base i was on was quite small um so cardio fitness it was possible but it would it got boring um and also being outside, like it got to like 50 degrees um, in Afghanistan, so it was bloody hot. And then on the other extreme, it got bloody cold in winter, like snows there in winter. Yeah. Um, so being outside wasn't, wasn't ideal, especially I spent most of my time during the day outside, so my downtime just like wanted to be in air con or something. Um, so I just basically trained weights when I was over in Afghanistan and continued that when I got back. And uh yeah, it got to the point
0: where I just decided not to do cardio anymore and just train weights. <laughs> so you did your yeah. first comp um at a fitness expo, what was that like yeah. compared to performing in front of thousands of people, presumably? Um, um for Disney on ice. Well I think it I think it helped me a bit with nerves because I was comfortable being in
2: front of people.
0: Yeah, it was almost um, like a step down.
2: Yeah, almost. Um But like it was, it was it was fun I didn't have nerves or anything I knew that the lifts I could do because I was a, a newbie I'd already tested the lifts my one RM in training smart yeah, yeah. so and you like, just did
1: them again was that the goal it was literally
2: actually no I, I stuffed up bad <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. so what, what were your lifts in your first comp how many lifts um, did you make what would you weigh in at did you win um
2: uh, so I was competing against uh Alvin in that comp yeah
1: um and uh, I can't Alvin remember. Lim to Alvin listeners Lim. one of the best now 77 kilo lifters in the country has represented Australia two times three mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. at least three at least three times very very good lifter he's been around a while sorry carry on yeah uh, he probably doesn't he probably doesn't <coughs> remember um, but I thought uh, you were going to say he probably doesn't listen and I was very <laughs> offended <laughs> <laughs> Alvin if you're listening message me Purple Dragon you reckon he will? no no probably not <laughs> yeah go on um yeah so uh, what was the question you, did
0: you win how, how, you, you how, do you how many lifts did you make what were your lifts, lifts.
2: You yes okay so um, it was only like a, a couple of weeks before the comp that I figured out how to low bar squat um before that I was just all doing high bars um so I managed to squat out 212 and a half kilos as my third and that was quite comfortable um probably had another 5-7 kilos in the tank um And then moving on to bench press. Um, Can't remember what my first was. For second, I went 145 and missed. And third, 145 and missed. Um, Reason being that when I read through the rules of uh, powerlifting, I read that your hands had to be inside the rings for some reason. I misread it. And so I was like, oh shit, I gotta train with a close grip bench press. And um, yeah, because the one one forty five, I had done training quite comfortably, and then I read this rule, and I thought it said your hands had to be inside the rings. Right. Little did I find out later that it was actually your yeah, index fingers can be on the rings. Uh, so yeah, missed missed one forty five as a third. Um, uh, second attempt was two fifty five, which I had done in training, so I knew I could do it. And uh, third attempt for deadlift, I went to 260 and got it up, but I think I got red light for a downward movement, which I had no idea what that was at the time. I was just like, what? <laughs> what was wrong with that?
1: So, <laughs> yeah. so six out of nine. Six out of nine, yes. but you're still like 212, 140, and 255-ish yeah. at 74. was that Yeah, like? gave me a 602.5 total. So 602.5 at 74 is, objectively speaking, a pretty decent total, actually. Yeah, like
2: yeah for a 74-kilometer lift it's pretty um, good. So your uh,
0: opening bench was 135, just for the record. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, maths. Okay. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> thanks, Alex. So, like, objectively speaking, you're already quite a good lifter. Um, did you expect to actually be okay? Like, um, were you strong as a kid? You know, at what point did you think you might actually be good at this sport? Um, I knew
2: I was, like fairly, fairly strong. Um, I'd sort of looked up previous results. Um, and I was, I was sort of in between the 74s and the 83s, um, like weight, weight category wise. And like yeah. the 80, 83s, I wasn't competitive in that, which then I thought, okay, well, I'll just compete 74s and like drop a kilo or two and at least I'll be competitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which yeah, I decided to do, and um, yeah, it paid off. Um, the ultimate goal was to get to like nationals in my first year, bit, but I didn't get there unfortunately because right. it was so bloody competitive. The seventy four class
1: always seemed to be. Mm. I guess the the thing I'm trying to nail down is you know we've like we've discussed sort of this life story for you where there was figure skating where you did some preparedness for figure skating stuff. You know, Mm. you lifted some weights, did some stretching, jumped on boxes and shit. You went to the army and you did basic training and you ran around and you lifted some weights in Afghanistan. But somewhere in there, there was this genesis where actually being strong must have been important to you and you must have, you know, you said you entered the army at under 70 kilos but now you're somewhere between 74 and 83 kilos having to cut down so you've put on a lot of muscle Yeah, like something has lit the spark in you to say I want to be big, I want to be strong and I might actually be good at this Yeah, Um, and I just, I really want to nail
2: down what it was Um, I think when I was going through my infantry training that um, sort of ignited um, getting strong getting stronger I was able to go to the gym in my own time um I mean previously before joining the army I was a figure skater with Disney on ice so I didn't I didn't go to the gym we didn't have a gym to go to all the time um so I was more doing body body weight and uh cardio but now like I found going to the gym I enjoyed lifting the weights and I was seeing results um so I just started like smashing myself in the gym and it got stronger and stronger and um I still continued some cardio with that um but then it got to a point like as I said I did a 200 kilo deadlift and that was a big big milestone um and I think that that ignited like oh I want to get into some sort of strength sport Mm -hmm. and going coming from such like a competitive career before joining the army I I just felt like I needed something to work towards I find it very boring just going to the gym. Lifting weights for no particular reason. I need I need a goal in mind to work towards, and that sort of ignited. Yeah, I would say that ignited the fuel to start powerlifting.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's something that resonates with me a lot. I knew when I when I stopped playing rugby, like very quickly, I stopped enjoying training as much just to train. Yeah, it's like funny now emotions. I like training to train, but yeah. like but then I needed a competitive outlet. Yeah, exactly. You with an elite sporting background, I can see that as well. Yeah. What types of training were you doing? You said you were smashing the gym. Somewhere in there, you went from not being able to deadlift 200 to pulling 255 and missing 260 at lockout. Yeah. Uh, you know, as well. What were you doing? Um, so it was very much just a
2: bodybuild style training, you know, like, was it, is it chest and tries, back and buys, and legs? <laughs> yeah. Is that the, Pretty much. That's the, the <laughs> classic. <laughs>
1: that's push pull legs yeah, yeah. That. so did
0: um, you ever consider like doing bodybuilding competing in bodybuilding um it did
2: cross my mind but I just I just didn't like it sounds funny coming from a figure skating career I just didn't like the idea of getting up on stage like flexing my muscles and I didn't see it like sorry if I offend any bodybuilders I didn't see it as a sport um sorry.
1: I, I agree I yeah <laughs> That's me flipping the table. Yeah, so you're, you're
0: more disgust. into something that has some performance element behind exactly. it. Exactly. exactly. You're, you're going, just yeah,
1: like for
2: me, bodybuilding, you, your work's already done. I'd rather
0: do the work at the competition. Yeah, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So um, your first competition, you did two twelve and a half, 135, 255. Correct. And your best lifts now are uh
2: 250 but that was in the 83s my uh currently uh yeah 83s yeah currently in the 77 kilo class it's 247 and a half. uh 165 bench and a 273 deadlift with a was a 280 286 total I more think than is my best I reckon
1: total. 686 Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, 686, Yeah, 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 six eighty six total. So we're up, we're up eighty six kilos on the total in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um. After that first competition, though, obviously you said you messed it up a little bit. You went six for nine. Yeah. Was that what prompted you to get coaching?
2: Yeah. So at the at that first comp, um, I actually met JP. Um, no idea who oh. JP was, and um, he was just to me he was just some bloke. Helping me, uh, helping me, um, get my cards in, had no idea about the one minute rule that you had to, um, get your next lift in within a minute. Um, so So he he was handling you all day, he was sort of handling me like I was still doing all my own warm ups and stuff, yeah. Um, but he was pretty much just asking me after every lift, um, what, what do you want your next attempt to be, and he was just putting it to the tech desk for me, right? Um and then from there, the fitness show had, um, had a banquet for presentations, um, and then there I sat down and John and Gre- Greta sat across from me, no idea who they were at the time, just got chatting to them. and Again,
1: uh, to listeners, John and Greta run City Strength, which is a gym, and they also import SPD apparel, so they're very well involved in powerlifting Australia. Yeah. Avid listeners one.
0: of the show as well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah carry on. Um, And so I uh, I found out that John was a coach, um, but at the time I was living in Albury still. Mm -hmm. Um, So he uh, suggested to contact uh, JP for online coaching, um, which I did, and the rest is history. I've been with JP ever since. So uh, how long ago was that? What year was that? That was, I want to say 2014, no, 2016.
1: 2016 2016. so only three years ago yeah wild so what was your next like how did training change for you I guess is the first big step when you actually got involved in powerlifting as a sport yeah like with coaching what were the things that JP immediately changed about your approach um, so the biggest thing that I found is that
2: because I was just training myself, like my, in my head, I was like, yeah, I've got to get to the gym and smash myself like every session basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started training with JP, I was like, shit, like what, this is really easy. Like what's going on? Like it's training should be harder than this. Um, but then as I, as time went on, I learned it's more a structured, structured training um, and obviously starting with a new coach you've got to start off light so he can see my technique um, and yeah so we, I went with JP if he was, put me down for five days a week training whereas I was normally doing six um, so I mean that that was good at least I got to spend more time with my wife and everything and, good for uh, you, bad for her? Yeah possibly <laughs> <laughs> yeah go on but, Um, I just found that was, yeah, a lot, a lot more structured to what I was doing and obviously more powerlifting focused towards the big three lifts. Whereas like before I was, you know, jumping on like the chest press machine and stuff like that, which
1: I don't think I've done
2: since. Yeah.
1: So because you have this unique background as both a figure skater and as someone who's been in the armed forces, were there lessons from them that you then took and applied to your powerlifting training?
2: Yeah, I think I think like um the the biggest lesson is that uh from a very young age, um, I was very disciplined from from a feast skating career, especially from having like Russian coaches. Mm. Um they're very much the Russians are very much like if you're not first, you're last sort of thing. You know, the second is the first loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, like I I knew what work needed to be done, whether it was figure skating or powerlifting. I knew what work needed to be done to reach my goal. Um, So I just did it. And I think coming from the figure skating career into powerlifting, JP would um, prescribe me my program. I knew that's what I had to do, and I just did it Um, without too many complaints, I don't think, JP. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, hopefully not. And what about um, what about from the army? So obviously, there's a big discipline component to that as well. Yeah, correct. Were there things you learned about yourself in your training for the army, or you know, when you were deployed, that you think have helped in training as well?
2: Yeah, I think um, the army has a very much attitude like um, if something needs to be done again, you, you're told to do it. You do it. You don't ask questions. You don't say I can't be bothered. Um, you know, palm it off to someone else to do. Um, if your if your superior asks you to do something, you do it. Um, and in the army, if you don't do it, you can you can be charged. Um, you can get a loss of pay. Um, so, I think coming from that as well um, in powerlifting. I mean, as I said, your coach tells you that you need to do this training, you just do it, mm. um, and even now that I've got kids, um, my life's pretty busy. Sometimes that training needs to be done once my kids go to bed. Um, luckily I have a home gym set up, which allows me to do it. And I know that it needs to be done. Yeah. Okay. If I I might miss a day, I'll try and catch it up or I just talk to JP and be like, Hey, I have missed a day. Um, what do you want me to do? And he'll either say oh, I'll just chuck this exercise onto the next day um, or we'll just repeat that date next week
1: right
0: yeah I've I've um I've been coaching this guy Randy who used to be in the army as well mm. I've noticed that he's very like yes sir yes sir you know just do as he told and that's yeah. really
1: like a great thing to have like going into powerlifting yeah from your perspective as a coach Alex do you think people who are like everybody knows the stereotypical client who just doesn't do what you tell them and then they have shit results and then it's just a pain in the ass to deal with them. Do you ever find that people who are so compliant and so used to just doing what they're told that they never question you go the other way? Like, you You almost don't get the pushback on training that mightn't be right that you ought to or has that not been a problem for you?
0: I think it's good for people to ask questions so long as, the, so long as they're in the right vein, not like questioning the coach's methods yeah. but more like, oh, I'm just curious like why I'm doing this. Yeah. But outside of that, I think it should just be like a yes, I'll do this kind of relationship.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like sometimes I ask JP like, okay, why why am I doing this exercise? Um, but I always, always say, oh, I'm not like questioning your methods. Like I'm just generally curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's like, there's always value in knowing why you are doing something because it also tells you where to direct your attention. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like if you're doing poor squats to practice some aspect of your technique, say like your position in the hole. Then when you do a set and you review it back your attention is immediately drawn to your position on the whole you know whereas if you were told we're doing it for any other purpose to practice your descent speed say whatever it happens to be that would be what you focus your attention on so i think there's value to that but i also think there can be value sometimes in clients even if they like even when it comes across as whinging their subjective experience of how hard or appropriate the training is still informs what you ought to do and I guess if you're if you're quite mentally tough like you are and like Randy, I presume, is as well, you might be inclined sometimes to just tough it out because you don't want to say something. Um, yeah. And on the opposite of the spectrum, I have people who just complain whenever I ask them to do one set of, you know, one at the bar. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's no good either. Yeah. But I think that ability to communicate is important. Yeah, yeah, something that I've put in my spreadsheets recently and I've made it more interactive
0: is like, fill in your RPEs for your final set. Yeah, And that kind of gives me a gauge on difficulty.
1: Yeah. So I don't have to ask them. Yeah, It's just there. Yeah, yeah sure. And, and a lot of my clients I tell to use your, well, I mean their training log is essentially their own training log. So use it like a diary, write whatever you want. Certain people, shout out JP, just write annoying notes to me and try and troll me for when I review it myself but plenty of people do do that they write down this felt really hard this felt better than last week I did X and Y better Mm. and you know to them that's a useful exercise as well because it forces reflection
0: yeah
2: I think like for example uh, at the moment I've got uh, single leg hip thrusters in my program and the first time I'd done them um, normally you would do the weighted ones with the barbell and um, they felt weird to me I said to JP hey these are weird can I do weighted ones and his words were pretty much uh, just man up and do them. I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, here and there again, you've got to be able to say that to someone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> crushing yeah sometimes,
0: sometimes you need to hear that. Yeah.
1: But sometimes, you know, there is an alternative. Yeah. So let's zoom ahead in your powerlifting career. Um, and I don't mean to paper it all over. Like you've lifted some weights. You did very well at nationals last year. Um, but you've now injured your arm, which we've spoken about. Yes. Um, tell us exactly what occurred. So, um...
2: Probably from uh, from the comp that I did earlier this year in February, the City Strength comp, Alex was handling me. Will mm-hmm. was supposed to handle me, but decided not to.
1: Yeah, do- <laughs> dogged it and went on an island holiday <laughs> instead. Sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Alex got the call-up. Um, Second did, choice, did, Alex. <laughs> did
2: a fantastic job, man. Did do yeah. a fantastic job. I only missed my opener squat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a coaching error. <laughs> <Yeah>. Go on. <laughs> um... Yeah, so anyway, from, from around that, for that prep, I was getting pain in my shoulder. Um, you know, just, I'd been to the doctor's physios, they just thought there was like sort of tendon, tendonitis, tendinopathy, something along those lines, but maybe a bit of bursitis. Um, so I rested it after that competition um, for, you know, six, six, seven weeks maybe, and I could almost bench completely pain-free when I went back to doing bench press it got to the stage where okay nationals were coming up i need to start bench pressing um so i started bench pressing and uh as nationals got closer and the weights got heavier um the pain in my shoulder was getting worse and worse and um i was again seeing physios um doctors they sent me for a scan um on my shoulder nothing showed up nothing out of the ordinary so i was all right um uh I started to see um, uh, outside physio and um, they they pretty much just said the same thing, that it was ten off the tendon on my shoulder, which which is fine because that's where the pain was. Um, and then fast forward to a couple of weeks uh, outside of nationals, um, I went down to uh, Paralete um, because I was seeing Scott Hill uh, as my physio. And he wanted to show me a couple of things, um, so I was there. Um, I had 147 and a half kilo bench press to do just for a single, um, and the pain in my shoulder was was quite bad. Um, it was it was bad enough that I was almost considering Point out nationals anyway, because um, it was it was excruciating. And uh, so, at Power Elite on that night. Um, I'd warmed up everything. Um, I had uh, Laura Scro, I hope I'm saying that yeah, right, Scrow, yeah. uh, spotting me and um, loaded up the 147.5 kilos. Um, first time I actually wore elbow sleeves, I thought it just might help with a bit of the shoulder plane, just like help lift the weight up magically. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, went, went down and went to push it back up, loud snap um, weight didn't move anywhere. Um, in my head, I thought I'd move the weight and it took a few seconds to register that something was wrong. And, uh, Laura started screaming, um, like for other people to come help, um, to get the weight off me. Um, luckily I had, did have the safety bars, uh, set up, always set your safety bars up. And, uh, yeah, at first we thought I'd just pop my shoulder out. Um, which I was like, oh, okay. Well, I've, I didn't know what a pop shoulder sounds like because I've never done it before. Um, if you have seen the video, there is a really loud snap in the video.
0: Yeah, I've got the video up. If anyone wants to hear it, I was going to play <laughs> the audio. Yeah, yeah, play the audio. Press. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that quick. Ugh.
1: Yeah, so that's what it sounds like when a humorous snaps.
2: Yeah, right? so that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and luckily that... Um, Scott, Scott was there, um, mm-hmm. so with his uh, medical expertise, he was able to move my arm into a comfortable position um, while we waited for an ambulance, and um, at this stage, we ju- still thought it was just something wrong with my shoulder, yeah. um, i it popped out, um, you know, maybe worst case scenario is like a ligament tendon or something, they might have snapped because of that loud noise we heard, um, but... As I went to the ER, um, I wasn't in too much pain. I mean, the ampers gave me a lot of morphine anyway. I um, uh, went to the ER, had an x-ray, Saw my humerus was pretty much snapped all the way through in half. Um, so that was that was pretty upsetting.
1: Yeah, I bet. So one of the things that you mentioned in that story was that you'd had this pain for quite a while, mm. but you were persisting with training. Yeah. Um, do you reckon there was any degree to which you were sort of in denial about how much was wrong?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, I was in like to bench press; it was really painful, like excruciating pain. Pain, um, especially at the top of the movement, and when I racked the bar, I'd have to hold hold my arm on the bar for a good few seconds for the pain to like sort of go away, and I could get up. Um, so still had no idea. What was really wrong, um, but the surgeon believes that I had a stress fracture already mm-hmm. in my humerus, yeah. and the pain was shooting up into my shoulder. So, so in the there was nothing wrong with my shoulder.
1: So this is something that resonates with me a little bit because I like I had a proximal hamstring avulsion, so I tore my left hamstring completely off the bone, and I had um, I had pain in that hamstring about eight or ten weeks prior to actually tearing it mm. during training and it was sometimes so bad when I was driving to placement because I was on placement for sports science at the time. I would have to, when I got out of my car from driving, I wouldn't be able to walk yeah. for you know a couple of minutes at a time. So I'd be hobbling on one leg and then it would get better. And if I stood up to go to the bathroom or anything at placement, I couldn't walk. Um, but then I would get to training and sort of hobble into the gym and by the time I was deadlifting 120, it felt okay. Yeah. So I was sort of in denial being like, oh, you know, I can lift okay, it just hurts at other times. But then the pain would get a little bit worse after the sessions and things as well. Yeah. So when I did eventually tear my hamstring, I spent a lot a lot of time after sort of kicking myself and going, well, fuck, if I'd been a little bit smarter and been willing to acknowledge there was a problem, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, do you feel that way at all with your shoulder or not really?
2: Um, in a way, sort of both. I am kicking myself and in a way I am relieved. Um, kicking myself as that I wish that I'd uh, gone and got an x-ray but didn't even cross my mind that it would be a stress fracture I mean it didn't cross doctors minds or physios minds that there could be a stress fracture there Mm. so didn't get an x-ray done which probably would have shown a stress fracture if I had gotten that done and I would have had to pull out of nationals anyway um, to let it heal up Um, and I was hoping late this year to go to world championships um, or do an international competition which if I had a stress fracture I probably wouldn't have been able to do anyway um, right. probably would have had to give it some, a lot of time to heal um, and then in a way I was relieved that uh, I knew what the problem was um, I was relieved that I didn't pop my shoulder out because I know once you pop your shoulder out once it could be a recurring problem and I knew that would always be in my mind yeah. um, doing heavy bench press um, so in, in that sense, I was relieved that I knew what the problem was because um, the pain while benching was excruciating. Um, so, yeah, I was relieved that I finally knew what the problem was.
1: So how do you then put that behind you and go back to training because, like, spoiler alert, um, you know, you have been lifting weights, you've been doing squatting and things now, you're doing yep. some rehab for your upper body. How yep. do you move on um, with that in the background?
2: Um it's hard to move on, um, especially like post-surgery. Um, I should say I had, I had surgery in my arm to put screws and a plate in there to repair, uh, hold the humerus in place and repair it. And uh, from that three weeks post-surgery, I was able to start seeing the physio. Um, I'd lost a lot of movement um, in my arm. I couldn't raise my arm above my shoulder. Um, So from there we started physio and within a week I could lift my arm above my head. Um, So I went from having no, pretty much zero movement above my shoulder to being able to lift my arm straight above my head. Um, And from there it was just the few weeks getting my range of motion back, range of movement back. And now were gradually just this week I've started to add like one kilo to five kilo dumbbells in some movements um and while doing that I've also been doing um single arm stuff so my right arm is getting massive while my left is shrinking
1: (laughs) there's a sorry this is completely unnecessary aside um you know M. Night Shyamalan or Shyamalan or however you say his name that director the guy whose movies always have twists know what I'm talking about? No. Um, directed The Others or whatever. Um, the Village. He directed the live-action Avatar movie. No? No. Okay. Famous, <laughs> famous guy for directing movies where they always have twists. And um, he did one movie that is honestly one of the worst movies I've ever seen called Lady in the Water. And there's a character in it who, as a science experiment on himself, only trains one arm. <laughs> and he looks absolutely absurd. He, like he's super duper jacked up on one side only anyway if you don't know if you don't know who he is and you don't know the movie you won't get the reference but look it up to, you know because it's you right now terrible reference terrible dude. reference <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be one movie buff in the audience who's like wow someone knows that movie it's bad um, okay so you're back doing a little bit of training and yep. what's the prognosis for your injury how many weeks or how many months until you should be back to baseline
2: um so at the 12-week post-surgery mark, I will get another x-ray done and hopefully see that uh, the fracture is pretty much completely healed, like mm-hmm. hopefully nothing really to see. And um, from then, I will be allowed to pretty much go back to normal training. Um, over the next five weeks while I'm leading into that, I can gradually, slowly add weight um, as long as it's not painful. Um, and. Then at the 12 week mark, um, if it's still causing me some discomfort, um, like at the moment, um, I can't get my arm back very well to do like uh, squats. Mm -hmm. I can get into a high bar position, but um, there's no way I could slide the bar down to get into a low bar position. So hopefully that will come back. uh, But if it doesn't, um, then we might need to remove the plate and screws out of my arm um, just to give me a bit more range of motion. But if it's all good and I'm happy and it's not causing me any problems, then the plate and
1: screws can stay in. And, um, yeah, i will be equipped lifting. I was going to say, equipped lifting, or are you just going to be finding it harder to make weight with the metal in you? (laughs) With the 10 grams of metal in me. All right. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll come back and hit um, Matt with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person.
0: Welcome back to episode 67. We're going to hit Tinson now with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. So the first one is, if you could take anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? And please don't say your wife.
1: (laughs) Even Uh, though she is lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: who would would you two take out to dinner? Mrs. Tino
1: on Instagram. Yeah. Mrs. Tino on Instagram.
2: Yeah. with me the other day. If if you want to (laughs) see my kids go follow us. (laughs) (laughs) Did she really? I don't don't think so. Uh, Uh... (laughs) <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Um, I thought about this a little bit, and I'd have to say possibly George W. Bush, uh, but only if he'll tell me all the U.S. secrets that I wanted to know.
0: And you go, go golfing with him? No, i suck, suck at golf,
2: but... Okay. So is it. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, I'd go golfing with him.
0: have you seen that video? Uh, George like, W. Bush being shot. Watch, watch this drive. He's talking about the war, the war on terror. No. And he's crazy. like, we will stop this war on terror now watch this drive he's like at the <laughs> golf race right? I golf haven't, seen, haven't seen it. it's no, nice no, that's uh, uh, <laughs> um, while
1: we're on while we're on US secrets a couple of months until this Area 51 raid is mm. meant to go ahead you've been in the armed services yeah have you heard anything what do you reckon I have are there not, aliens there I have not heard anything and I don't believe there is anything there that sounds like the party line that you're doing. But, <laughs> yeah. but that's what I'd like to ask George W. Bush. Okay, I actually thought you were going to ask him about, you know, the wars on Afghanistan. Who killed Kennedy? Oh, no, I like that Did all September that. 11 really happen?
0: Who killed Kennedy?
1: Did it really happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff, you'll come melt yeah. steel beams, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, very good. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> question
0: two. Question two. Who's your favourite athlete of all time? Ah, uh, that's a that's a hard one as well, but...
2: Uh, there's So many I'd have to say um, Cadell Evans, I oh, a yeah. cyclist yeah um, like not that I follow cycling too much, but I just respect him in the way that in a sport that is like riddled with drugs, um, presuming that he is completely clean to win uh, a race like the Tour de France completely clean, I uh, just yeah I find that absolutely amazing
1: were it's there any I don't buy it? I Do you I, don't reckon it's clean? No. To be honest, I find the idea that anybody wins the Tour de France completely clean near ludicrous. But it's like it's possible. Yeah. And you the just amount seem of, like of a doping. In cycling, guy, well, the amount but, of doping in cycling is demonstrably gone down a long way because someone, yeah. I read an article where somebody was calculating like the wattage required to maintain their um, their race speeds around the Tour de France. And since the days of, like, Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong and things, it's dropped enormously. It's dropped, yeah. You right. know, which is to say that the amount of drugs they're using ha, must have also dropped with it. Yeah, yeah. But people are still being busted for it. And when you have a sport that's, like, you know, some part tactical, but a very large part, basically, which human can put out the most power for the longest amount of time, mm. that's where, like, drug taking really, really shines, you uh, know? Yeah, 100%. Um But, you know, possibly he has done it. And certainly he's a humble person who works very hard. Yeah, well, I mean, even
2: if you do take drugs, you still got to work hard to get results. Yeah, well,
1: that's the thing. Nobody wins the Tour de France (laughs) without... All of the other things on top of possibly taking drugs um,
0: man we did some bike riding in Greece yeah we did. had this tiny hill <laughs> and dude I tell you what it's so fucking hard going up heels on a bike especially because you were riding the training
1: wheels weren't you? <laughs> I was yeah extra friction extra you, yeah. well. <laughs> were there any figure skaters that you particularly idolized when you were younger um, I mean yeah there was a,
2: there was a few um, the biggest one Um, would have been a bloke called Evgeny Plushenko, he's a Russian. Um, he was just, uh, you know, he was like the Arnold of, um, the figure skating world during my time. He would just win everything, absolute freak. Um, yeah.
1: And what about the movie Blades of Glory? Have you seen it? I have seen that movie several times. I fucking love it. It's great yeah, you do though. like it? Yeah. How much truth is there to it? Like the, what's it called? The Iron Lotus. Oh, that's completely made up, obviously. Do you to. Oh, obviously. <laughs> next, time, next
0: time you
2: take your shirt off at a meet, you gotta say, this is what a real skater's <laughs>
0: body looks <love." laughs> like. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Uh, also, one more question. Um, are there any drugs in figure skating? Not that I know of. Um, I did get
2: drug tested as a figure skater, um, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know of or have heard of anyone getting a positive drug test in figure skating. And I reckon if they did, it would be something like, like maybe prescription drugs or something. Like, I don't think, I mean, what would you take?
0: Probably the correct answer. Yeah. Yeah. Boring boring yeah uh, oh.
1: uh, yeah was, <laughs> this guy was raised by russians in a secret figure skating compound yeah. and you're gonna trust uh, his
0: if i was
2: taking drugs at a, as a figure skater and like my russian coaches would have been the ones to push me to
1: do it <laughs> yeah exactly all right question three which movie or television character do you most resemble i got no idea
2: but um a few people including my wife say i do resemble zach afron so. I can kind of... Can you see a bit of Zac Efron? Maybe in his Baywatch movie. Did you see oh,
1: that? Zac Efron <laughs> with his shirt <laughs> Maybe off, far out, this guy. Um, Tickets on himself. Yeah, I can see a little bit of Zac Efron in you. Oh, thank you've you. also. Um, do you watch Stranger Things? Yes. You know Billy, the Max, the redhead girl. Yeah, is Billy's his name? Isn't it the older brother? He's got long blonde yeah, hair. Yeah, obviously yeah. that's not like you. Yeah, but you've got a little bit of his facial features. That's yeah, Sweet. it's not bad. Yeah, he's not a bit bad. of a heartthrob. Yeah. I'll um, take that. Give or take, when he's the bad guy. <coughs> <laughs> sorry for anyone who has to watch season three. Uh-huh. Um, okay, cool. Question four: Your life is being made into a movie. Um, sorry, into a montage. You get to choose the music. What would you set it to? <laughs> um, You've got a lot of Disney music to pick from.
2: Yeah. Well, you you said uh, you said "Beer Man" from the mo- from movie Milan. Yeah. Um, I, I would agree with that. Um,
1: I mean, as a as a happier one, a whole new world. Yeah, might, might also be a, good a good one. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. You've seen the sights. The good thing about being a man is it's actually set to a montage, or yes. a montage is set to it in the movie. It is remember, and it yeah. culminates with her again. I don't want to ruin Milan for anyone hasn't <laughs> seen it. I oh, can How old is Milan? Twenty
0: but years old. But she climbs
1: a log, <laughs> she does. and pulls an arrow out of it, and that's like the big. Mm. the big combination of it. So somewhere you're going to like scale a peak in powerlifting or something and pluck a golden medal from, from the top na- of that. National bowl. championships next year. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> oh, there you go. Sam Skeppis, get called out. Um, or actually JP, get called out. Now Chad, reigning Chad, champion. Chad make weight. <laughs> <laughs> Another guy. All right. Uh, okay. So we've got yet yeah, two Disney options. That's good, man. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really enjoyable. Um, where can people find you on social media to track your um, rehab? You can find me at Tino.Lifts. And
2: yeah. uh, if you are on Facebook, just search my name.
0: Yep. Yeah. Matt with one T. Yes,
2: Matthew with one T. I don't put anything on Facebook, so don't, don't worry. Just sure. just kid videos.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm Will Berkman, W.BerkmanPT. I'm Alex Hayes, Alex Hayes underscore Lift. We'll chat to you guys next week.